Well, good morning, Grace. It's exciting to worship with you. What a powerful time together, the GCA Ensemble and the GBC Choir and Orchestra. Let's give them a hand again. Great job. Miss Poirier and the GCA Ensemble, you may not know this about them, but they get up each weekday and they're here by 7 a.m., starting by 7.10, when most of their fellow students are just getting out of bed, they're starting practice. Uh, excellence doesn't happen by accident, right? And so these folks have sacrificed, and uh, this year they'll be, they've been invited to Carnegie, Carnegie Hall to perform, uh, and so what an exciting honor as they go each year to competitions. Let's give them a round of applause about that. Anyway. I'm honored to speak with you today. Pastor Bobby, as you heard, is not here. I hope I didn't hear too many gaffes. I know I, I would rather hear Pastor Bobby as well. So, uh, so skilled and so good at what he does. But uh, anyway, we're blessed to um, just have the opportunity to share, and, and I appreciate um, him giving me that opportunity. I want to thank you, church, for your support as head of school at GCA. We couldn't do what we do to impact 1,250-plus students every week without you. This year... God has blessed so much. I spent literally about 30 minutes making sure our staff knew, the GCA staff, when we came back from Christmas about all God's done even in one semester. And so it's amazing what he's doing. There's been over 40 decisions for Christ in the first semester. Uh, many of those uh, either baptized or profession of faith, and professions of faith. And then there's already several that I've not even included in that number that are wanting to be counseled uh, for baptism or know more about Christ. And uh, even some parents that have said, hey, I wanna get my order of baptism on the right side. So uh, thank you, church. I wanna thank my GCA staff and administration. Listen, there's no way of serving that many students without the people that are doing their job each day um, throughout. I do wanna say special thanks to my wife, uh, Angie of 23 years. She's right over here and my mom and sister, and my family are here. So let's, let's thank them. My sister's in from Chattanooga, and she helps lead worship down at her church. And so um, anyway, this morning, we're going to be focusing on being faithfully different. That's been an emphasis at GCA as part of our theme this year, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Faithful in the sense of an unwavering, deep devotion to the Lord, right? A deep commitment um, to Him, and different in the sense of uh, biblical commitment to the Lord, seeing all life from a biblical lens. As Romans 12, 2 says, we're being, you know, do not be conformed to this world. We're being squeezed in the world's mold. And as believers, we got to live life differently, right? We got to be transformed by the word. I picture it this way. If these two sections, right, we're going towards the shore, right? They're going towards the beach and, and I'm walking towards there and I feel a huge tug going this way. And let's say this section's a rip current. You may have heard of that before, but a, but a large area where the waves have stopped and you look out there and there's a deep pull going on. Sometimes you can't even recognize it when you're in the water and all of a sudden you're taken under and it's violent and it's, and it's um, strong. And that's very much what I picture what it is to live the Christian life, right? We feel it on a daily basis. Whereas we're trying to live faithfully different, as we're trying to live out our faith in Christ, we feel this tug of the world against us, right? The world system, Satan's value system that seeks to squeeze us into his mold and live a life for his fallen kingdom rather than for the glorious kingdom of God. He wants to still kill and destroy our faith so we don't live out the Christian life and impact the world for Christ. And in Daniel, the book of Daniel, I've been reading it and focusing on it this year, we really see some young leaders, they're taken captive 
in, in their land, okay, and they're taken to Babylon. And, and today we're gonna see in, in Daniel chapter three about three young men that stayed faithful to the Lord in the midst of very difficult circumstances. But what happened was in Daniel one, they were taken away and they were taken captive and the Babylonian kingdom, they, they began to educate them in this godless culture. They began to teach them some of their ways. They changed their names. They tried to change their diet. They tried to change the way they worship, the way they think, the way they behave. They did all those things. And so I want you to see though, although we see that in this story, and I want you to understand this is a part of what they're continuing to face as believers in a fallen culture, you're facing the same thing. It's no different today. Satan's still at work trying to pull against us as we take steps towards the Lord and living in victory, okay? And so I'm not gonna have you stand because it's a rather long passage, but I've cut it in half. I just wanna make sure that we um, get a full picture of all that God wants to teach us through the passage. So in Daniel chapter three, we're gonna start in verse 14. And what's happened here is this King Nebuchadnezzar that has conquered the land, he's taken these folks captive. And what he's done in Babylon is he's set up an image for himself, for people to worship, you know? Some great humility, sets up a 90 foot statue, most likely built of wood, overlaid in gold, 10 feet wide, massive, on the plain of Dura, it says. And what happens is he says, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Just like we heard a symphony of music, he said, there's gonna begin to be music that's played. And when you hear it, you're gonna come and you're gonna bow down to this gold image I've set up. Well, those that were believers, they didn't do that, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, no, we're not gonna do that. And some, some others that were jealous of their position in the kingdom said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, there's these guys, they're not bowing down, they're not following what you, they're not giving you the honor that's due you. And they chose to live out the Christian life faithfully in that moment. Here we'll pick up in, in verse 14 when he brings them to his office, so to speak. He, he calls them to the carpet. Hey, listen, we'll give you a chance here, boys. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying to them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn and flute and so on, as you hear the music, you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good? And so, hey, this is your shot. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is this God who will deliver you from my hands? You can hear the pride in his voice as though he's the most powerful. He's naive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. There was a peace in their response. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Well, what do you think his, react, his reaction is? Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. He was extremely angry. I love what Bible, seventh grade Bible teacher Amber Thomas said last year in chapel. She said, hey, anything that you get angry about, you may want to look in and lean in and see if it's an idol in your life. And I think for Nebuchadnezzar, he had a real power issue. He had a real pride issue, right? And so he was full of fury. And the expression on his face, like many of us, changed 
towards these guys. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace up seven times more and that they be cast in the burning fiery furnace and you know, tied up by the strongest men in the land. Then there were, the men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and all their clothes, clothing so that they could burn easier and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those man who, men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it was so hot that the people that threw them in died immediately. These three men didn't, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down, bound in the midst of the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. They say that, you know, in some of the historical books, that he must have been sitting in his chair, and when he heard these men in the fire, it was said to be singing and praising going on, much like Paul and Silas in the jail, that he was astonished. And he was most likely sitting down, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he said, look, I see four men loose, four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Praise God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And all these special people gather around to see this miracle that's happened. Like, what? What in the world's gone on? They did not have, they, their hair was not singed, their garments were not affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He goes on to say, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And amazingly enough, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Dear God, speak to us today. Whatever you're wanting to share with each of these people here, you're powerful enough to do it. God, I thank you for the example of these men that lived faithfully different. And there's women in the Bible that did, and there's men and women today that are, and I'm thankful for that, the examples they are to us. God, but we're only faithful because you're faithful. Your faithfulness is amazing. Lord, thank you for this time of worship. What an exciting time that we got to worship through music and instrument and voice. Lord, let us humble ourselves right now and be open to what you want to teach us. Let's be true to the text and true to your word and, and challenge one another and respond in how you would have us respond in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see is, is that these guys said, even if he doesn't. The idea here is, is that circumstances and the outcome don't impact how we live out the Christian life, Right? We're to live it out faithfully and leave the results to God. We're to leave, live it out faithfully and leave the outcome up to him. We're not in control. He is. Charles Stanley said it like this, obey God and leave the consequences to him. If he tells you to walk, go through a brick wall, he'll provide a hole in it. He'll provide a way over it or around it or something. But you obey God and leave the consequences to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know what? Our God's able to deliver us. But if not, but even if he doesn't, as some translations say, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. I want you to see the conviction that was predetermined. They didn't get in this situation and start going, what do we do? They already had decided. We even see in chapter one where they were obviously trained well because they began to deny the, the, um, the teaching and all and the foods and things that they were trying to um, train them with and uh, give to them even from the beginning. 
And so we need to put on deposit the word of God. We need to put on deposit the worship of God. We need to put on deposit the prayers to God, right? So we can see God work all the time in mighty ways in and through our lives. Even if he doesn't. Faithful obedience so that they're faithfully different. Unwavering commitment. Just like their friend and mentor, Daniel, who it said in chapter 1, Daniel purposed in his heart. These men had purposed in their heart to follow God. They made a commitment to obey no matter what. Uh, Guzik says, they did not doubt God's ability, but neither did they presume to know God's will. In this, they agreed with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Esther said it this way, when her people were facing death and she was to go before her husband, that was the king, and it was, you know, it was death if the king didn't call for you first. And she said this, she said, if I perish, I perish because she knew it was the right thing to go before the king. And I think it's the same mindset right here. If I die, I die. I'm following Jesus. I'm leaving the consequences to him. I'm trusting him. I trust in God, as the song says we're singing here in recent days. Our God is able to save us, but if he's not, he's in control. He is sovereign, and we understand our eternal destiny. In Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Even death. Even death. Notice they didn't say, oh, it's just for a few minutes. We'll just bow down. It's not that big a deal. Hey, there's thousands of people there. Nobody will even know that we bowed down, right? They won't even notice. Or, man, God's grace is good. He'll extend grace to us. That way we can keep our lives. No, they didn't do that. No, this was a non-negotiable, no gray area in their devotion to the Lord. And they understand the Lord's command about worship to the one true God that they should have no other gods before him, that you should not make for yourself a carved image and bow down to it and worship it. They didn't run and make a public protest, but they sure didn't hide either. When questioned by the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is this true? Put his arm around him, I imagine, is this true? Hey, I'm giving you a shot here. I think you know what you need to do. They're like, "Mm mm-mm. No, this is one time we put our foot down. We're saying no. They said, we're committed. We believe. We trust in the God is able to save. We're all in. We're willing to suffer at whatever cost, even to the point of death, because we're faithfully different. Let me ask you this. What would be said of us if it was asked, is it true? How would we respond? What would our lives tell everyone around us about how we live by truth or not? Would we be called before the evil king if, he, if we were there? Would we right now be found guilty of, a worship, of being a worshiper of Jesus? Would we be found guilty of being a follower of Christ? Would we be found guilty of being obedient and faithful and trustworthy to the point of death or career loss or friendship broken or dream shattered? Even if he doesn't, that's not the deal. It's, it's about doing it the right way, God's way, no matter what despite the results. Even if he doesn't heal me. Last month when I had, or in November when I had cancer, I had to decide that. It took me a few days. It it was a hard blow to the stomach when I read, you know, don't go and read, you know, the results on Google sometimes, right? WebMD. Even if he doesn't heal me. Even if he doesn't allow me to win. Even girls, if he doesn't allow you to get the boy because you did it the right way. Even guys, if he doesn't allow you to marry the girl that you feel like you need to marry. Even if married couple, he doesn't allow you to have the child even if he doesn't allow you to be promoted at work, even if he doesn't allow you to buy the car, the thing you really, really want, 
because you had to tithe. Even if, if you don't get selected for the part in the play or on the team or invited to that group because of who you are in Christ, be faithfully different. You get the idea. To be faithfully different, you trust God by obeying and trusting what you know to be true in his word. And even if not, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't answer and come through the way you think, he has the final word. And he will come through in his way and in his timing, and it will be best. Your job is to obey, not to decide all the results. God can keep us protected from a trial. He could have kept these guys completely out of the fire. He chose not to. He, had chose, he allowed them to go through the fire and not be hurt. He can allow you to go in a trial and sustain you through it. But the sobering part of the Christian life that I'm finding out more and more as I get older is it doesn't always turn out the way we think. Sometimes we do lose the loved one. Sometimes we're not healed. Sometimes we lose the championship, right? Sometimes things that were out of our control, we can't explain how did I get to this place? How did this even happen? And he's allowed it through a sovereign filter. I can't explain those things on this side of eternity, but I trust you, the score will be evened up. You get, <clears throat> he says this, trust him, even if he doesn't. He is trustworthy and his plan is so much better and so much higher. In Isaiah 55, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, or your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. We are to be faithfully different in our trust and our obedience, just like these guys. The next thing I want you to see is, just as the song, Hillsong United sings, there is another in the fire. There's someone with you. The reason these men could be faithful, not because they're extra special and they're super Christians, it's because the God of the universe is living in them and through them and allows them to be bold. He said, I'm in the fire with you. There's a fourth man in the fire and it looks like the son of God. Jesus is working on our behalf. He's walking through those difficult things with us. Some say it was God in the fire, Jesus. Others say it was an angel. Either way, it was the presence of the Lord. There was a gentleman in the prayer group this morning said he was watching the History Channel, Secular Channel, and it was just saying in the history of the Old Testament, there was truly, according to the account, historians say there was a fourth man in the fire. Now, they didn't give credit where credit was due, but hey, give them credit. They said there was a fourth man in the fire. These are secular people. There's a fourth man in the fire. There's another in the fire. They had depended on a faithful God. And we need to do the same. In Joshua, Joshua 1, Moses has taken over. I'm sorry, Moses has passed away and he's passing on the torch to Joshua. And Joshua is told three times in Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And the bookends of that is this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's another in the fire. I'll be with you wherever you go. There's another in the fire. Just like Joshua, we have one walking through the Christian life with us that allows us to go through the difficult things in life. Great is thy faithfulness. These men could be faithful because God is faithful. Some of you are going through the fire right now in your marriage. Some of you are going through it with a prodigal child, a relationship, a job loss, aging parent, sin that has wrapped its vice around you with a good desire that has not been fulfilled and you're getting anxious and it's eating at you. 
You're in the fire. I want to remind you there's another in the fire. Jesus is with you and he's all you need. That's not preacher talk. He is sufficient. Christ is enough for me. He's enough for you. Okay. You can live faithfully different with another in the fire. As we heard earlier, he's the same God. The same God today, he's the same God yesterday that did all those miracles and the same God that's gonna do it in the future. A God that was so big that men were tied up by the most powerful men in the land, no way they could get out. In all his human strength, Nebuchadnezzar thought himself to be stronger than our God and he bound them up and they threw him in they weren't even, they didn't have a hair on their head singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And somehow they got out of the ties of the, of the ropes. That's a big guy. That's a big guy. There's another in the fire. Let's depend on him, this faithful guy, to be faithfully different. The last thing I want you to see is for um, his glory and your good. Look in the passage here. You can see that these guys had a faithful motive and their faithful motive was God's glory. In verse 29 and 30, Nebuchadnezzar, after all this has happened, they've come out of the fire, he's brought them back out. He's like, wow, God's frustrated my plans is what he says. I was wrong. And at least to the point of this, after this, he says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he goes on to say in verse 29, there's no other God who can deliver like this. God got the glory. And then he says, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow, it was for their good. They ultimately somehow, men that were supposed to die are promoted even higher. They were faithfully different because they had a faithfully different motive, his glory, God's praise and glory. Isaiah 43, seven says it this way, everyone who's called by my name, that's all of us, whom I've created for my glory, I've formed him, yes, I've made him. We're made for God's glory. 99% of our issues would go away if we go after God's glory as our laser focus, as our central priority, God's glory. Romans 8, 28, I love what it says and I wanna remind you to be faithfully different. We, we need to remember this as we're going through challenges, as we're going through trials. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you love God, called according to him, he's gonna work it for your good, his glory. The Lord takes the good, the bad and the ugly and everything in between makes it good. It's just like I heard last night, I was at dinner at the um, father-daughter dance and one of the fifth grade dads said, man, Aunt Wilma used to make the greatest broccoli casserole. She'd put this and that and the other in it. And I thought, you know, that's true of Romans 8, 28, you know? You, you take the sour cream and you take the salty stuff and you take the sweet stuff and somehow we got the tastiest food in the world and I, I have no idea how. Well, the same thing with God. It's mysterious that he can take the good, the bad, and the ugly and make beautiful things. God works all things together for the good. He stirs all these things that are going on in our lives and somehow is big enough to make them work for our good and his glory. I shared this two years ago, so many of you have heard, so I apologize, but it was his birthday this week. In 2000, my wife and I were married. For about the first three years, we didn't really worry about having children. We were traveling, we were having fun. We, even though we didn't have much and we were living on love, we went on a couple of cruises. Uh, we, uh, we were living uh, in a rental and then 
moved to our first home and it was $55,000 in this community. Can you imagine having a $55,000 house today? That's probably not gonna happen. But anyway, um, we lived in this neat little home and uh, we were serving the Lord. I was beginning to be a teacher and a coach. And uh, about three years into it, about four years into it, 2003 or four, we started wanting to have children. It's a godly good desire. And that desire kept growing. And it got to the point where people that got married after us were starting to have children. We're going like, what's going on? And people kept asking, hey, when y'all gonna have babies? And it seemed like an innocent question, but every time it was like, oh man, don't say that to my wife. Right now, you have no clue. We're, we're struggling. And she began to struggle. And we tried to figure out ways that, uh, you know, she could get pregnant and all. And we started going through processes to, um, you know, possibly allow us to do that. And um, nothing worked. It came to a, a, a pinnacle on uh, late February of 2006. My wife called me and I met her at home and I remember her sharing and she had a picture and on it was a circle. And a doctor had just told her uh, a picture of her internal organs and said, that right there is why you'll never have a child. We were broken. Man, you talk about feeling like you were thrown into the fire. Man, that day, it wasn't even if he doesn't. It was like, Lord, why? We're serving you. We love you. We just want this godly desire of having a child. Why? I can remember getting down on my knees on that linoleum floor that I was so proud that I laid there in that home, the only floor I've ever laid. It was a little stick down linoleum floor. And I remember just weeping before the Lord. God, where are you? We need you. And I started reading about waiting on God and asking God to, to speak to us. And he gave me a verse, Isaiah 64, four, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically no eyes seen or no ears heard how God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And I held on to that verse and God began to change our desires and make sure that we were in a place that says, even if he doesn't, we're trusting you. Even if you don't give us a child, hey, we need to adopt, man, there's many children that need to be adopted, God, we're open to that, we're trusting you in that. God, if you don't want us to have children and you just want us to pour into these students we're pouring into, we're gonna trust you in that. And our heart began to be more and more open. And we didn't know what the result was gonna be. But on July 4th of 2006, my 90-year-old grandmother was there. I can remember, we had your, you know, your ghetto shade. We had the apple trees that we were under for the 4th of July party and it was like 100 degrees. And Angie pulls out that beautiful pregnancy test that shows that she was pregnant, right? even if he doesn't, and he chose to, you know, and God had walked through that with us. And when I woke up on Friday morning this week, Cameron Isaiah Mercer's birthday, Isaiah, Isaiah 64.4, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. God reminded me as I put my feet on the floor to go give him the donut with the candle in the, in the donut, and we go and sing obnoxiously and wake him up. I do them all on video, they love it. And um, he reminded me, that's a gift from me. That's a gift from me. And you see, I think that's a picture of what we face. We go through fires and we have to say, God, I trust you. And you know what? He could have just as easily said, you know what? We're gonna go a different direction with that because he's writing the story. We gotta trust him and leave the consequences to him, the outcome to him. But we felt his presence in that time as we pressed into him. And he did things only for his glory. We have a fine young man. He can be a stinker sometimes still, you know. I gave him his first spanking. I'm ashamed to say probably about eight months old. But anyways, a fine young man. 
And, uh, you know, you learn a lot in parenting. Maybe wait till they're two or three and they can handle a little better. But anyway, Cameron Isaiah is on the front row. And on Friday, just like the Friday he was born, I went and coached a basketball game. And the next day in the paper, Mercer coaches the Falcons to victory versus Carter while his wife is in the hospital with their baby boy. So anyway, she gave me permission, ladies. So don't feel don't, don't feel sorry for her. She told me, you got to go. This kid's going to be a basketball player, and you got to go win us a game tonight. So we went and won a game, and on Friday night this week, 17-year-old Cameron Isaiah Mercer helped with his teammates lead the, the Rams to victory. So it was a lot of fun. But anyway, that gives you a picture maybe of something and somebody that maybe needs, it speak, needs to speak to you this morning. I want to be faithfully different. Wherever your stage of life, whatever you're doing, you want to be faithfully different. I want to be faithfully different. Like in her high 80s, Beverly Hoffmeister, my second grade school teacher at Powell Elementary School, who serves here each Sunday morning teaching a Sunday school class to women. She's gone through the loss of three husbands and yet keeps on being faithful to the Lord as they've gone on to be the Lord. I want to be faithful like Brian Thomas that lost his mother in 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 his teen years and continued at GCA, finished out, went to seminary and followed in the footsteps of his father, Michael Thomas, who was an excellent pastor here, right? I wanna be faithful, like I said the first hour, like Melissa Poirier that drives two hours every day to teach our children how to sing and how to lead in worship. I wanna be like Bob Black that I worked for as my first boss at Fulton High School, the high school football field's named after him. 60 years of service to children, to inner city children, and he made great impact. And some of you are in here today that he led to Jesus and they discipled in Jesus. I wanna be like Becky Addington, who uh, her family I grew up around and I went to her funeral not expecting to hear the fact that Becky was instrumental in starting Emerald Youth Foundation. Steve Diggs, the director, it's one of the largest ministries in our area, Christian ministries, nonprofits, has an, having a huge impact. Steve Diggs shared at the funeral that Becky Addington was the reason he was leading. Steve Diggs has made a huge impact on our city for Christ. I wanna be faithfully different like my mom. I'm the youngest of five. She would say, I, you know, I feel like God, why couldn't I have like finished my degree and done more with my life? Just a stay-at-home mom at times, you know? It was a struggle. And at times when she had to work part-time, take what she could while she had five kids, you know, that she had to take care of with my dad working at UPS all the time. And so, but they were faithfully different. Do you think my mom made a difference? Two of her sons are pastors. Two were full-time missionaries. All five of us came to the Lord, umpteen hundred grandchildren. Many of them have come to Christ. Several of them are leading in the church and doing the right things, living, living faithfully different. I want to be faithfully different like Pastor Ron Stewart and his wife, Becky, that helped start many of the ministries we have here, including Grace Christian Academy for over three decades, nearly three decades they serve. Like Pastor Bobby that you see firsthand as a picture. That's a faithfully different pastor, folks. Let's thank God for Pastor and Cindy. Let's pray for them. This is hard work. Man, I hope he's having a great time right now and getting rest because he's faithfully different and ushered grace into some of the greatest opportunities and blessings we've ever seen. Most people in this world will never see the blessings that we have at this church and the opportunity to worship the way we do 
and to be sent out the way we do. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And I thank God for faithfully different people like that. Young people, there are many that have come through these doors over the last 5 to 15, 20 years, and they decided at your age, where you're at right now, college, students, elementary students, they decided, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm living for him. I'm going to be an example right now. I'm not going to wait to be a leader. I'm going to be an example in speech and purity and faith and leadership. And guess what? They are making an enormous impact on this world. There's a couple of them. They're serving as missionaries on other continents. This past week, Justin West was ushered in as a new pastor at Grace Baptist Church that has been here his whole life at the church. It's amazing. Doctors, lawyers, businessmen, moms, godly moms and dads. It's making a difference. Choose to be faithfully different. I remember Will McCamey, Mr. Football, valedictorian at Grace Christian Academy in 2012 or 13, came up to me at the senior retreat at Invitation with tears in his eyes and he said, Mr. Mercer, Coach Mercer, I want to tell more people about Jesus. I've been living out my faith, but I haven't really been sharing with enough people. Will went on with a prestigious scholarship to the Naval Academy to play football. He was very sharp, very godly, great young man. Tragically, he died on the practice field that next year. And the, the leader of the free world said, live like Will. He had a platform that people leaned in and they saw Jesus through that. They got to come and maybe see grace through that. I know people that came that were visitors that got to worship with us. And of course, we continue to pray for those like Will's family that have lost loved ones but he was faithfully different. I think you get the point, folks. We're called into Babylon. In the city where we live, the home we are leading and we are part of, in the school we attend, the place where we work, in the neighborhood where we do life, to be faithfully different. To fully trust God with our lives, even if he doesn't come through, making the temporal circumstances turn out the way we thought. To obey him, to trust him, and leave the outcomes to him. With boldness, because there's another in the fire walking with us every step, the climb of the mountain, ultimately for his glory and your good. I want the band to come up and we're gonna have a time of invitation. Listen, this story is more than meets the eye. This is a picture of the gospel, that a God that so loved these guys, he saved them miraculously. But there was a man on Calvary over 2,000 years ago that did the same thing. We were headed for a fire, folks. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, he sent his only son, Jesus, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would not experience the torment of an unquenching fire as it talks about in Mark, but that they would have life and life more abundantly. They would have a peace that passes all understanding, a joy that's awesome through trials and not dependent on circumstances. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not experiencing peace, and contentment and joy. I'm not talking about the easy life. It might be easier not knowing God. But if you want to experience the only thing that money can't buy and you can't earn, then you come to Christ today. There's counselors and pastors that'll be up here. Those of you that have fallen away, hey, now's the time to commit. Young people, I just had a young person say, hey, I was called to that several, 10 years ago. Today's the day, nail it down. Decide today, I'm gonna to be faithfully different. I'm not gonna fall away like so many that have chosen the other path, that have rejected the truth we've tried to teach them, that have not embraced it, that have experienced the regret and the loss and the evil 
that, that happens when we walk away from God. Be faithfully different. Pray for those that you know need to come to the Lord. Be a faithfully different church member this year. God's not done. Pastor Bobby's gonna share some amazing things that have happened over the past five years that only God can get the credit for in the coming weeks. Next week, he'll be back in the pulpit and he'll share that. You'll wanna be here to hear that. But what's God got for us next? You look in the rear view too long, we lose our edge. We lose what God wants for us next. It's important to remember, praise God. But man, he's got something next for you as an individual, for me, our families, our community, our school, our church. Let's serve and worship him. Let me pray for us and you come forward. You respond how God would have you respond today. Don't wait. Satan loves delay, delayed obedience because it ultimately turns into disobedience. You respond this week, I had a dad that said, hey, I want to get my baptism on the right side of salvation. I was saved later in life, but I was baptized and I didn't really, I didn't really know Christ. So I want to get baptized now. I want you to baptize me. Hey, if you need to get baptized, next week we're having Life at Grace. It'd be a great time to join with the church. If not here, find somewhere because God meant for you to be a part of the local church. He wrote the whole New Testament with the idea that you were in a local church, being encouraged, using your gifts, being blessed. Man, when you go through tough stuff, let me tell you the number of text messages I received last month was unbelievable. You felt, I felt God's presence through God's people. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.